Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. Welcome to Connections. I'm Colleen Hood with Mike Tom. Today's guest has a remarkable story of hope through the storms of life. We're joined by Steve Harriman. He talks about his late wife, Shar, and he compares her to a 100-watt bulb lighting up the world for others facing challenges in life, even as she faced the end of hers. Now, back in 1995, his wife suffered a grand mal seizure, and it was after that that they learned that she had a tumor and, in fact, had cancer. She was given two years to live, but she ended up living 24 more years. She didn't waste any of that time, and today on Connections... Steve will share her story and how she has impacted lives across the world. We're joined today by Steve Harriman. He is the president of Hope Through the Storm Ministries. He's also the author of a new book called Shar's Gift, A Remarkable Story of Hope Through the Storms of Life. We're going to get around to that book coming up in a little bit. But first of all, Steve, we want to start right there. Tell us about Shar. Tell us about who she was. Shar was a 100-watt light bulb compared to me being a (laughs) 10-watt. She, uh, we were married for nine years when uh, Easter Sunday hit, um, 1995, a brain tumor diagnosis. And, uh, we were rushed to the, you know, she was rushed to the hospital and the world was turned upside down. Uh, When they found out it was malignant, the doctors gave her two years to live and said that she would have a limited life. The way I look at it, God had a different plan for Shar. She lived for 24 years and went on to help thousands of people. So it's it's a pretty amazing journey that we both walked, uh, and through a lot of storms and trials, there was there was a lot of uh, hope and joy that came out of that. Surprisingly, I call it impossible joy, uh, given the circumstances. So. How did the two of you cross paths to start off? Well, we were, <laughs> I had started my first job ever at a little local restaurant in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. And Shar was a waitress there. I was a busser. And we became friends over time. Um, we actually tried to find dates for each other. And uh, <laughs> Um, we just thought, you know, the spark's not there, but yet we could talk openly to each other and, and uh, our friendship grew. The funny thing was uh, when we both left there, uh, as life moves on, we kind of lost track of each other. And I remember calling her one time in the fall of 1985. And I, I said, hey, Cher, how's it going? And she goes, well, I'm kind of in a hurry. She says, I'm trying to get ready for uh, tomorrow morning. I'm going to a Michigan uh, University of Michigan football game with a guy from my church on a first date. And, and <laughs> for some reason that did not set well with me. And uh, I remember just watching the game on TV, feeling so jealous and thinking, I hope it's going to be a thunderstorm or something. <laughs> and, uh, then I thought, well, maybe if we get a nice cold snap, but then I thought, no, they're going to be snuggling under a blanket. I don't want that either. And <laughs> you just kind of lose your mind over that. And, uh, I called her the next day and said, Hey, how did it go? And she says, awful. She goes, it was cold. It was windy. She goes, I didn't click with this guy at all. And I thought, you know, I I had silence and I said, well, that's, that's too bad. (laughs) So um, at that point I couldn't get her off my mind. And I remember 
thinking I have to tell her, I have to, I have to tell her the truth. And, and so I risked our friendship and I called her and I said, Hey, Shark, can you meet for coffee? There's something I have to tell you. And she sounded really nervous on the phone and, and she goes, well, there's something I have to tell you too. And I thought, Oh, great. So we met at the, the very restaurant, you know, we worked at Russ's it's called. And um, I remember looking at her and I thought, I just have to do it. So I said, sure. I, I was jealous of, of, you know, this, you going with this guy to this game. And, and I just put it out there. I said, Char, I'm in love with you. And I remember looking down at the table, <laughs> like Linus looking for his blanket, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and I looked up at her after a few moments, cause there was silence and she had these huge tears in her eyes. And she goes, I'm in love with you too. I was so scared to tell you. Wow. Well, it was incredible. On the same day, we were both going to say that to each other. That's so amazing. So yeah. how long uh, were you both married before the diagnosis? Uh, mm-hmm. How long into your relationship once she got the diagnosis? Yeah, we were, we were married a total of 33 years, but we were married um, nine years when the diagnosis hit. And uh, talk about a life changer and you know, when you're, when you're given a diagnosis like that and, and little hope really, uh, it really, <laughs> it's hard to describe it, but it, it's just something where you, you, you take for granted, I guess, all of the things that you're able to do. And when you're sitting in a, a hospital, um, my eyes were, <clears throat> excuse me, my, my eyes were open to the needs of other people, which I didn't even plan on, you know, you're so focused on the person that you're, you're married to. Um, but I saw people, a woman, uh, pushing her husband in a wheelchair. He had one leg and on the elevator. I remember walking through the lobby and seeing a woman who had, uh, obvious burns on her face. And at that point you kind of realize, you know, you're not in this alone. I mean, this is, uh, it's a world that I was fairly ignorant to. I, I just wasn't exposed to that. And so you develop an empathy for others. I think what really changed things for us, um, you know, Shar had to leave her job. And that was like walking off of a cliff for her, she said, because you associate your life with your job many times and your purpose. And she felt like she had lost her purpose. And what we ended up doing was going to a brain tumor cancer support group, which doesn't sound like a very uplifting thing, but we, we went to the hospital uh, where they held that. And that was, that was the moment of clarity for Cher, who all of a sudden realized there were seven people there all going through what we were going through. And all I can remember is on the way home, she just talked about every one of those people and what she wanted to do for them what she wanted to do to encourage them, getting them gift bags, getting cards. And she was all excited. And I hadn't seen her that excited in in weeks, months. And so that became our social life, um, going to support groups. And Shar just felt useful that she could take what time she had left and try to encourage other people not to give up. And so we did that. And one of them, uh, the ministry came out of a funny little story because she had given her testimony at a, at a church and uh, the pastor said, oh, I wish there was a couple people who could have been here 
they would have loved to hear your story share. And I said, well, what if we just typed it up and leave it for them? And he says, sure. So I typed up 25 copies, called it Hope Through the Storm, told Char's story. And when we came back to that group a month later, all the copies were gone. And I said to the pastor, hey, you know, what's the deal with this? And he says, yeah, they just snatched them right up. Can you print more? Long story short, uh, we began to tell the stories of other people that we learned about. And um, it became a quarterly publication. And that little grassroots effort ended up in 49 states and 11 countries. And it was, uh, we were distributing 100,000 copies. And it was, uh, it was just a small effort, but it became something bigger. And it led to hope conferences that we did at um, a really nice venue in Grand Rapids called Frederick Meyer Gardens. And we did it for free and invited anyone with any illness or any disability to come. And we filled the place. And Shar went up there after having her second brain surgery and spoke, which I thought was pretty miraculous. And so long story, she, over the course of the 24 years of having this, she had five major brain surgeries. And so you can imagine what kind of hope can you see in that, but Shar did. And uh, I'll give you, can I give you an example? I think that really sums up who she, who she was. After her second brain surgery, she was in the hospital, still in the bed. And she had a very strong faith. And she said, you know, Steve, do you think maybe I'm not in the hospital for me? And I was confused. I said, what do, what do you mean? And she says, well, I just feel like maybe I'm here to help somebody else. And I thought, okay, that's fine. I, <laughs> I had gone to get coffee. I came back to the room, and here's Char with her arm around the nurse praying with her. And so I kind of stepped out quietly. And, and later on that evening, I said, what was that all about? And she says, well, I just asked this girl about her life. And she broke down and started crying and said it was her first day back on the job after losing her mom to breast cancer. Wow. And I said, Char, I said, I think you were right what you told me. She goes, I think so. I think she's the person I was supposed to help. And there were so many moments like that. Um, I think what I would tell people, you know, and it's hard, obviously, when you're going through MRIs like crazy and, and, dealing with these kind of situations, it is enormously difficult to keep your head above water. But she had this way of flipping it. And she would always be thinking about the other person in the room, always asking about them. Um, So for Shar, she found purpose in the pain. And I think that's what made her uh, special. She had a a favorite saying, which I think was really applicable to her situation. It was what the caterpillar calls the end of the world. The master calls a butterfly. And that was Shire. What was it like for you to be by her side through all of this? Um, Were you able to hang on to faith as strongly as she was, or did you have moments where you felt like God had abandoned you? Yes. Um, Shire had a much stronger faith than I did. I remember when she's getting wheeled into her first surgery Family's all worried. I'm all worried. And Shar's the only one who's not. And she said to me, Steve, 
no matter what happens, when I go in that surgery room, God will be with me no matter what. Keep trusting. Keep trusting. And I, you know, that's easy, you know, for her. And she's going in. And I said, well, that's great, Cher. <laughs> um, you know, I'll keep doing that. But it's, you know, it's when you're on the other side of it as the caregiver, your job is to worry. That's what you feel like it is. And so you're you're fighting control, having to give it to God. And I was... I was frustrated about that. I remember going into the hospital chapel during that surgery and I was all by myself in there. And I just simply said, God, if, if it's your will to take Shire to heaven, please change your mind. And, uh, you know, whether he heard my prayer or had that plan in, in place, it was, that was the case, but it's hard because I was angry at him as people can be. And trying to make sense of it all and saying, why would you take one of your best people? You know, why would you go through putting her through all of this? You know, just that kind of fight. Um, you get very defensive mm-hmm. as a caregiver, even toward God. And uh, you're fighting for the best for the person that you love. And so it's a very real feeling to have that. And so I, my faith grew over time. I began to take Shar's advice and would look for opportunities um, talking to a man who was in the room next door and, you know, his son had been in a major car crash and was having his 24th surgery to repair the shattered legs he had. And you just find some solace, I think, in the fact that you actually could help somebody else, even though you don't want to be in that place, or if you're going through a diagnosis or a disability and you don't want to be in that situation, you are uniquely qualified. Uh, to help the person, you know, who's been brought before your path. And so I found that to be helpful um, and met many people that I could actually comfort through our own storm. Now, Shar was only given two years to live. She ended up living 24 more years. Obviously, there were struggles in there, but how did that impact your faith? Because that in itself sounds like a miracle. (laughs) Yeah, it, it was a very much roller coaster um, at times. Uh, I think, you know, I'd have to guess that Shar had at least probably 40 to 50 MRIs over the course of that time, which is a lot. And uh, every time I would worry about that, every time I would be in this inner struggle um, with my faith to say, you know, why do you have to keep putting her through this? You know, you could just... <laughs> You know, make this easier. Um, I think the the biggest challenge in my faith was the last surgery, which um, ultimately led to losing her. She got through it. We spent two months in a rehab, uh, physical rehab at the hospital. Shar had to learn to walk and talk again, which we had never had that before. She always bounced back within a week and was home, uh, but this was difficult. And so we we made it home eventually. Um, I helped Shar walking up and down our driveway. She, she, she bounced back. Her speech came back. If you didn't know any better, you'd think nothing was wrong with her, which I thought, wow, this is incredible. Um, but to then lose her um, over Memorial Day weekend with a series of devastating seizures, and just like that, it felt like a car crash. Uh, and so... I struggled like, God, why would you have us go through that? Why such pain? And, and 
you know, where's the purpose? There's no ministry coming out of this. I, I don't see any good from this. And I think what hit me was when I was writing the book. And I felt when I finished it that I was supposed to write that book. And I think that was the reason that we had to go through all of that. I poured my heart out. I spent five months straight writing it right in the heart of all the grief. Um, I didn't think anyone else would want to read it. Uh, it was so intensely personal, but it's, I can see now that people have been uh, very uplifted by this. Uh, I've had such incredible comments from people that said, this really changes the way I look at things in life, what I'm going through. And they're, they're so inspired by Shar's example that now I realize that there is that purpose in my pain and that by finishing this book, you know, it does add some meaning to what we had to go through. That's, that's the best way I can look at it. Uh, the book is called Shar's Gift, A Remarkable Story of Hope Through the Storms of Life. What was it like writing that book and reliving those moments? A lot of tears. There were some nights that I thought I can't even get a few words out right now. Hmm. And um, I think what ultimately happened was that it made the book better. A lot of people said it, it's so real, Steve. Um, I write very visually. That's just the way my mind works. And uh, uh, it's not a book on me explaining to people how to grieve or anything like that. It's just our story and it's a series of stories and that's really connected with people. Um, I think by sharing my own pain and my own grief in that way, it has definitely had a connection with people and, and is, um, is really helping them from what I understand. And so that's a huge blessing out of all this for me. What do you hope those who read it will, um, I'm trying to think of the right word here. Well, how do you hope they'll feel about Shar, or what, what do you think they'll take away from the person that she was? I think if anything, I want, um, I want people to realize that life's not over when you are, and it doesn't matter what, it, what the issue is. You know, Shar used to deal with people who would come up to her and say, well, Shar, my problems don't compare with what you're going through. And she would stop them immediately and say, don't ever say that. And what you're going through is just as real as what I went through. Um, neither one of us want to bear each other's burden. And she would respect what they're dealing with, whether it's a divorce or, you know, a loss of a job or finances or medical conditions. Um, to her, you know, she respected that person's situation and would try to encourage them. And I think that's what she would say to anybody out there is that what you're going through, turn it around, take the focus off of yourself and put it on that person and, and start to feel empathy and encouragement and go out and do something for them because it's, she just was addicted to joy. She got such joy from doing things for other people. And I think there's a, a, a true healing in that for whatever you're going through. And I think that's what Shar would want people to realize that you can still be useful. Uh, you can still find, um, as I said, purpose through your pain. 
for people who want to learn more about you, about your ministry, about the book, how can they go about doing that? I would direct them uh, to a site that's called sharsgift.com and they can learn more about the book and, and read the first two chapters there. And uh, I think from that point on, they can contact me directly from that site. And, uh, I would love to talk to anyone who, who's interested in, in uh, sharing their story and wants to, to learn more of how uh, they can help overcome what they're going through, no matter what. Thank, thank you. you so much. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for the time. And thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll talk to you again on Connections.